0: Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is brought to you by ROI Online. Most business leaders struggle with how to transition from traditional marketing into modern marketing. ROI Online has a team of experts that makes it easy. They help you make a plan and then do most of the work for you to set you up for success. ROI can guide you to success at roionline.com. This episode is also sponsored by Amarillo National Bank. With a history that dates back to 1892, A&B is now in its fifth generation of family ownership. This makes it the largest 100% family-owned bank in the United States. Learn more about a A&B at aandb.com. Amarillo National Bank, here to stay. Today's guest is Alex Hunt the Haley Endowed Professor of Western Studies at West Texas A&M University. Alex came to the Amarillo area after having lived in Alaska and Colorado. He got his Ph.D. in Oregon. Uh, And as an American literature professor, he has focused on the American West. He founded the Center for the Study of the American West at WT, and until recently he served as the editor for the Panhandle Plains Historical Review. Now, previous guests on the podcast have talked about the pioneer spirit and the Western culture that makes Amarillo a unique place, and the role that our cowboy and ranching history has played in building that culture. So Alex has built a career thinking and teaching about this stuff, and I wanted to hear his perspective. Okay, uh, Dr. Alex Hunt, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I want to talk about you know your, your academic career, all the different things you're involved with at WT, but let's start... By sort of walking through how you ended up here, tell me tell me how you got to Amarillo and Canyon and the Texas Panhandle.
1: I think it's kind of an interesting story, actually. I mean, there are, there are a lot of ways that one can turn one's life into a story, and and one way I could do it is just to say that I, I'm a college professor and I'm the son of two college professors, so I've always lived in university towns, and and here I am. But um, it's actually I think a lot more interesting than that in the sense that. Um, We moved around a lot, and we always lived in the American West in the the largest sense of that. So my father was originally from Seattle, and he took um, his first uh, job as professor was at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks, which is where I was born. And my mother, who's from Germany, later became a professor, and her first job was at Texas Tech. So I had this very strange path—well, maybe it's not so strange— They went from Fairbanks, Alaska, to Seattle, to Lubbock, and that took me through junior high, and then it went backwards. We went back to Seattle, back to Alaska. I graduated from high school in in Anchorage, Alaska, and then off to um, college at Colorado State University, where my mother had taken another job. And then uh, I stayed there for my bachelor's and master's in English, and then I went uh, to the University of Oregon and did my Ph.D., and then, then I was on the job market, and and that's really tough. I don't think people know how how difficult it is to get um, a permanent uh, sort of tenure track position as an English professor um, these days. I applied for for hundreds of jobs all over the United States. I'm sure in every state. My specialization in graduate school was on uh, 20th century American literature, and my dissertation was on uh, contemporary literature of the uh, American Southwest. So I really wanted to to stay in the West. Um, when I saw this job at West Texas a and I remembered coming up to Paladro Canyon and the Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, occasionally on a weekend or something from, from Lubbock. And uh, I had this really strong memory, powerful memory of that red rock, badlands kind of landscape of Paladero Canyon. And this... Memory of, of West Texas College being uh, this sort of pretty campus, so I applied for the job, but it really had nothing to do with the fact that I had been in Lubbock. It wasn't like I was trying to get back to this area. It just, but it the fact that I'd seen the place made me apply for it, even though uh, the job description didn't fit me at all. So it was really a total crapshoot that that it worked out the way it did. So my academic career is pretty. Closely associated, I think, with my, my, my biography, which is that I always lived in these spectacular, big landscapes of the American West, whether that was Alaska or Colorado or the Llano Estacado. Those are places that, to my mind, are, are part of this sort of great Western landscape that I wanted to live in and study through literature and art and history um, and so it's, it's sort of a happy homecoming in a, in a large sense for me to be in Canyon, Texas.
0: That's uh, maybe striking to me to have someone talk about Alaska and Colorado and Texas Panhandle as having a common geography. I mean, obviously right. they, are, they are all, you know, in, in the western part of the United States, but the glaciers of Alaska, the 14,000 foot peaks of Colorado are not quite the same as the flatlands here in Amarillo. Right. tell me tell me about your your perspective uh, upon arriving here uh, at WT after having lived in those places is there something about the landscape here that I don't know gives you a similar feeling like like living in Alaska I mean, is, is there something that that it shares besides just where it's located in the the western part of the u.s it
1: does I mean obviously the there's lots of ways of talking about the American West and and one way would be to say sort of the the semi-arid and arid Intermountain west that um, that you could say runs from the hundredth meridian, which is the Eastern line of the panhandle, uh, to the coastal ranges, um, in California and and Oregon and Washington. And, and when you talk about the West in that sense, it's that semi-arid or arid landscape. And that's certainly something I, I think about, but again, because of how I grew up and where I grew up, um, to me, Alaska and, and, and Seattle are, are part of this kind of greater West. And when I grew up in Alaska, it was, it was the last oil boom there on the, on the license plate. It was the last frontier and there were direct flights. So I'm told between Alaska and Texas at that time, because of the oil connections, you know? So there is in that sense, that kind of Westward movement connection between the West and the frontier that, you know, we think of that as a 19th century, but in certain ways, at least in Alaska, that continued. And then I move here, and you know, here comes the fracking boom, for example. And and there's still very much that feeling of uh, frontier boom and bust kind of cycles and I don't know, excitement of a place that's still in some sense new. And that's not entirely a positive thing because it's it's you know, it can be kind of unstable and exploitive of natural resources in, in ways that can be a problem. But in my mind, in, in my experience, there's definitely a connection between those Western places, even though they have you know, different climates and different different specific uh, hallmarks.
0: Let's let's talk about WT a little bit. Um, I'm sure. interested in in you coming at it from not I mean not a pure outsider status, but but from someone who probably didn't grow up thinking I want to I want to teach at West Texas A and M University. I mean, what I didn't uh. what what reputation did the university have when you first arrived? What what did you think you were getting into?
1: When I first arrived, uh, it was 2002. Uh, the president was Russell Long. Seems to me there were about seven thousand and change uh, students on campus. Um, it was very sleepy. Uh, it was it seemed like very little residential student population. Um, it was it was extremely quiet on the weekends. Uh, the town of Canyon was not thriving. It was a very different place. Uh, and so I've seen a lot of growth since then. Um, um, loved Russell Long, you know, fellow English professor and somebody I respected very much. Um, but um, since, since those, those times, things have changed a great deal. And um, while I don't, I don't think all growth is good growth. There's definitely a new kind of vibrancy on campus. Uh, we're, we're well over 10,000 students now. Uh, we have a lot of students who are not from the Texas panhandle that is more from, from downstate and from border states and so on. Um, and while I think that it's, it, I think WT should be a regional school with the regional student body. I also think that universities by definition should be open and diverse. And and so I'm glad to see the energy that students from outside the area have brought, um, same with, same with faculty, you know, as the, as the job markets uh, change in different disciplines, we are attracting faculty from, you know, we just hired a, a Shakespeare professor from Princeton for example, um, we can interview those kinds of people.
0: That's uh, and, and that might be something that not a lot of people think about in relation to WT. If if they think of it, it's as a place for ag students, mm-hmm. or it's got a strong nursing program. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe even the the marketing and business programs with mm-hmm. the recent gifts mm-hmm. uh, from the Engler family. But um, you know, history and uh, English communication stuff like that. People don't always think of it in those terms. Tell me, tell me about that focus at WT. And
1: I think it's surprising. I really do. I mean, the the School of Music, uh, the Art Program, Communications Program, uh, all these are are very thriving enterprises. I think the History Department and the English Department um, connections to the Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and the new um, Center for the Study of the American West that I was just involved in founding. Um, I think these are really under-recognized but but really exciting areas of the of the university nursing and and business school and ag i mean they have the the larger numbers those are the bigger programs yes but there are some some excellent smaller programs that have really good reasons for being where they are
0: you mentioned the uh the center for the study of the american west you guys call it seesaw Seesaw. c-s-a-w rhymes with yeehaw okay that's appropriate Mm -hmm. um Talk to me about that. Tell me, you know, you, you were involved <clears throat> in starting it. It's, it's only like less than the, two years old at this point. Mm-hmm. Tell me why it exists and and why here in the Amarillo Canyon area.
1: Well, the region's history is undeniably Western to me. I, I mean, I think there there are people who live in Amarillo that don't necessarily embrace that. I think there are people who think of Texas as being a Southern state or who think of this part of Texas as being really more Midwestern than anything. And certainly there are, there are valid reasons to, to see our area as overlapping with different regional identities and histories because because those histories are real. But when you think about the history of the, the Panhandle region of Texas, I mean, it's about a comancheria. It's about pastores and, and comancheros coming out of New Mexico. It's about the U.S. cavalry fighting in the Red River War. It's about big ranches like the XIT and the JA and so on. I mean, who can look at that history and, and deny that that's a Western history? There are things that make this part of Texas or, or this part of the West kind of um, different. I mean, it's it's a little bit on the edge of the West. As I said before, I think it's you could say it's right on the, the Eastern edge of the West, you know. But historically, it's 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 got all those associations with strong historical markers. And when I first... Came to WT, you know, it was with a background in part at Colorado State University, this land-grant college uh, that had a huge ag program, where I was an English major, right? Yeah. But uh, very much a Western public land-grant institution. And when I came to WT, it felt just like that to me. And when I was at Colorado State, one of my stranger chapters was I was on the uh, rodeo team and, and became a bull rider because I got interested in that. So I was on the National Intercollegiate Rodeo Association team for a little while.
0: Classic English major, absolutely bull <clears throat>
1: And then I went into the PRCA and did a couple of years professional bull riding, which you know anybody can do that. I'm not saying I was any good at it because I I wasn't, but but it was a very exciting time that that was part of my kind of Western background. And when I came to WT, you know, I could go to the the NIRA rodeo, you know, and it just it felt like coming home in that sense. So to me, it's a very Western place. Uh, historically, culturally, and in terms of you know climate and, and all those sorts of things.
0: I'd like to talk about what that means today. I mean, so many people in Amarillo, uh, at least the very forward-looking people, are talking about Amarillo in terms of a entrepreneurial place yeah. or as a business incubator, a place yeah. that's focused on tech growth or yeah. bringing in companies, which is it feels very different um, from connecting to that Western heritage. True. It almost feels like a... A, sort of a path out of it is is that something are, are those two separate fields or is there some way that those things are connected
1: I think they are connected I mean not it could be kind of kind of corny to say it but I mean you you can look at uh, new tech developments as kind of a frontier ethos right I mean we're trying to develop new technologies but I think it's it's going from a kind of frontier to a post- frontier era like going from, the West as the frontier to the West as a place where we live. And so rather than thinking of, um, you know, what's the next natural resource we can mine, we have to think about how can we make sustainable economic development here and make Amarillo an attractive place to live because it has a lot going for it. And I think a lot of people that live here, you know, have that kind of familiarity breeds contempt. They can't quite believe that people might want to come here and, and find what's, what's, what makes it a good place to live, but it does have great strengths. And so I see on the one hand, a continuance of that frontier spirit when I visit, you know, the big, big ranches and and I see that that is a continuing legacy. And I think that's a great thing. I mean, I just love it personally. So I want to see that continue. I think it's an important heritage, but also I, I look at, you know, going out to, um, to eat somewhere on East Emerald Boulevard and seeing these new restaurants that might be African or Laotian or or Salvadoran or something like that and i think you know these are these are new people on their new frontier too and and so there is still that kind of openness and that kind of frontier ethos that continues even as i think when we think about what's the future of of our use of water in this area and and what's the future of the small towns that are twenty or fifty miles outside of Amarillo, I think we have to think about new economic development.
0: When you're you're talking about the Center for the Study of the American West, geographical reason that exists here, I guess, is pretty obvious. But from the perspective of an academic in 2017, you know, living here, why is it important to study that? Why is it important to pursue um, some of those elements of history and continue to either promote them, to talk about them, to start conversations about them. Why do that now?
1: I think a lot of people consider our own moment to be kind of post-regional. I mean, that the, with the, the internet age, it doesn't matter where we live. We're all connected. We can kind of work from home and we can live where we need to and travel where we need to. And, of course, there's a lot of truth to that, but it's Also more and more important to be to be grounded somewhere. I think we we as humans need to belong to a place and we lose those kind of connections at our own peril. There was a story in the paper, I can't remember the the author of it. It was a a guest editorial about Amarillo not having a story. Amarillo lacking a sense of place. Was it
0: Colin Cummings? Yes. That was it. I read that editorial. I imagine you did.
1: And I thought that was very provocative, you know, and, and and not wrong. Because I think that a lot of a lot of people that come to live in Amarillo don't have a direct connection to its frontier history. They don't. They didn't grow up on a ranch. They they don't have the sense of pride of place that some people from older families might around here. And so uh, it's important for people to to get grounded and to find their own story within the larger regional story. Uh, I was at Paladero High School recently, and and spoke to a bunch of classes there. It was amazing where those students had come from and and what experiences they had. Um, None of them had had any kind of connection to the the cowboy or the West, but here they were in this strange place where their parents had come for some reason, um, speaking different languages and and having very different uh, cultural backgrounds. And those students had never uh, been to the Panhandle Plains historical museum, for example. That's something I'd like to, to work on, by the way. Apparently, those students um, fall into some kind of gap where there isn't the the, the money to, to take them on a field trip to the museum. And I think that would be a great experience for a lot of those students because they could see how this is a place where where people came, where people came for opportunity, where people came to to build a life and to face some pretty harsh elements and, and still build something. Um, those are precisely the students that we need to get The museum to understand the history of this region and to see themselves as part of that history. I'm not sure where that question began, but
0: I I think that makes sense. And I think about I've I've had a number of conversations with people, uh, whether in this podcast or outside the podcast, and and we've talked about why Amarillo people have that. Independent do-it-yourself sort of spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no good reason that a city the size of Amarillo should have a symphony and an opera and right. a ballet and right. a little theater that are as strong as they are. Mm-hmm. There's no good reason Amarillo should have uh, a business like Amarillo National Bank, that's the largest mm-hmm. family-owned bank in the nation. But we do, and those are those are contemporary businesses and organizations. But I think some of the roots of that thinking goes back a hundred years to the people who came out here middle of nowhere had to survive the dust storms and the harsh winters and didn't have anybody else to depend on. And so yeah. maybe, you know, the, the feeling is that if we're going to have anything good, we're going to have to do it ourselves.
1: Right. And, and I don't think you have to go back all the way to, to 1880. That's a, a an ethos that, that has been reinforced over the decades by the fact that we're pretty far from things here, right? We're still out here in the middle to, to quote James McMurtry. Um, where we have to um, build our own institutions or we have to drive a long way to find them. Uh, so our, our isolation, as well as our, our frontier history, a recent frontier history, have driven that kind of ethos. I think that's right. And the other reason, to go back to your original question, to, that we need to think about place in the West and where we live, is that we, we really face some serious challenges. Um, I've been talking to a lot of people about their concerns about economic uh, development and, and diversity. Um, our, our population, the demographics of our population are changing. We're facing kind of out migration of young people. That's not a new thing, but a continuing problem we're facing, um, drawdown of the aquifer that's affecting agriculture in a lot of parts of the region. So it's, it feels to me like a a moment of decision. Who are we going to be? Do we keep sort of plugging along with the same, same ideas? Do we need to adapt to new realities? I, I think it's the latter but i think that that ability to adapt is again part of that that heritage of, of who we are in the in the panhandle
0: i would imagine that as as a historian as as someone who's involved in that that you're also looking forward as much as you're looking in into the past i mean do you do you have a sense of what ways we should adapt and, and where Amarillo Emer- should be you know in in a decade or in 20 years
1: well first of all i should say i'm not a historian because the, i get in trouble for that
0: well <laughs> but by degree or by, by the d- fact that technically uh, speaking, okay. I, 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 I would I, say if you're editing the uh, historical review for Panhandle Plains, uh, it's not that far from being a historian.
1: Well, that that may be, but
0: I'm not an um, academic, though. I, I'm just yes, I just
1: want to make sure I'm, I'm being honest. But um, looking into the future, of course, is is is, is, a, is a difficult thing. Um, so I'm not sure what that's like. I'm not sure what to say there, but we have to look at trends, right? One important trend is in terms of ethnicity in our area, and we are becoming a minority-majority area. Um, this is well recognized that uh, Anglo people in this area are going to become a minority. It's also a trend that the population growth, which is largely Hispanic, is at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder around here. Okay, So that's the only part of the population that's growing and it's the least powerful in terms of economic status. That doesn't seem to me like a sustainable society. Uh, That seems like a problem. Meanwhile, I think that we have a shortage of what we would call good jobs, right? Sort of white-collar jobs where people go to college and then they they take those jobs here and they stay in this area. That is also a problem. Um, There has to be some way where we can attract tech firms or light industry or whatever that might be um, so that we can we can grow that kind of middle class segment of the economy and, and invite our college graduates who who have some investment in this this place in this place to live' so where they can stay. Um, that's a huge problem. Amarillo is proud of, of bragging that they have, we have water for 200 years. But meanwhile, the water table in Ogall in general is dropping. And that's going to change how agriculture functions in the area. You're already seeing significant enough drawdown to the south that more acreage is becoming dry land. Meanwhile, more more acres to the north are being put into more cultivation, as I understand it. So the agricultural um, landscape is changing. I've been talking to some colleagues in agriculture who have done work on climate, uh, the forecast for the area is hotter and drier for the future, uh, which is true for the greater Southwest. And so that's something to think about too. So I don't have a crystal ball. I'm certainly no profit, but, uh, if we, if we look at what scholars are, are studying and, and what trends we can observe from business, from agriculture and so forth, I think we have to be attentive to that. I think we have to, to face the realities
0: and uh, and talk about them, frankly. The presenting sponsor of Hey Amarillo is ROI Online. Now, if you've listened to a few episodes of this podcast, you know that the best guests are the storytellers. They're able to just hook you in. It, It comes naturally. And I think everybody has a good story to tell, but not all of us are natural born storytellers. And it's the same way in business. Marketing is a form of storytelling, but whether you own a small startup or a large company, that just doesn't mean that the marketing aspect comes naturally to you. That's why ROI Online exists. Based in Amarillo, ROI is a team of marketing experts you would expect to look to Dallas or Boston to find, but they're here, and they will come alongside you and help you tell the story of your business. So if you're to the point of seriously considering upgrading your marketing efforts, ROI could be the business growth partner to help you become the hero in your story of success. For the price of a single employee, you can hire an entire team of creative marketing professionals at ROI Online. Find them on Instagram and Facebook, or let ROI guide you to success at roionline.com. ROI Online, leading the modern marketing movement. And I'm excited to introduce a new sponsor for this episode. And if you're familiar at all with Amarillo, you won't really even need the introduction. Amarillo National Bank isn't just the leading bank in the area, but it has been a leading member of the Amarillo community for more than 125 years. That's almost as long as Amarillo has existed. Now, my history with the bank isn't quite that long. I opened my first checking account with A&B around 1990 or so. Um, every single mortgage I've ever had is with A&B. My business accounts are with Amarillo National Bank. I've gotten business loans from the bank. My favorite nonprofits in Amarillo all have stories about Amarillo National Bank's support over the years. And I'll be honest, when I'm traveling places and want to brag about what makes Amarillo such a great place to live, I almost always end up talking about A&B and and the Ware family. That long-term focus on Amarillo businesses and Amarillo people is part of this area's secret sauce. You can learn more about the bank at anb.com. Amarillo National Bank, here to stay. Okay, we're back with Alex Hunt from West Texas A&M University and Seesaw, the Center for the Study of the American West. Um, Alex, the uh, this, is, this is the section I like to call eight straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight direct questions, and you get to give me answers to whatever okay. degree of depth you would like to. Um, this is not a classroom, however, so uh, no full lectures. Uh, the first one is this: Who is your favorite ranching or cowboy figure in Amarillo's history, or say the Panhandle history, not just Amarillo?
1: Okay, uh, I'm going to say Richard Walsh. Richard Walsh was a very interesting figure. He um, he was a manager of the J A Ranch for quite a long time, uh, starting I uh, think in the 1890s and ending in 1915, I believe. Uh, that he's was a,
0: Charles Goodnight's ranch.
1: Well, not, not, at, not at the time when he okay. worked at this. It would, would have been after Goodnight's departure. Of course, it was owned by Cornelia Adair, and she hired Richard Walsh. And he came from Ireland to the Panhandle uh, and then moved on to Brazil with another enterprise, setting up ranches there. And then from Brazil to Rhodesia and South Africa to head up the ranching division of the uh, British... South Africa company. And the reason I choose him is that um, in addition to being a very important figure in JA Ranch history in terms of consolidating the the land holdings of the ranch and improving the, at that time, Hereford breeding of the cattle there, um, I'm just intrigued by his movement from Ireland to Texas to Brazil to Rhodesia.
0: That's not a typical cowboy resume.
1: (laughs) It's pretty amazing. And, and what I like about that is that it, it shows how, how important and how globalized cattle ranching was in the late 19th century.
0: What's your favorite place to eat in Amarillo or Canyon?
1: Well, I'd, I wish I could give you quicker answers. I, I mean, I would love to say Imperial Tap Room. That is my favorite place to eat in Canyon. There are a lot of great places to eat in, in Amarillo. Uh, but my favorite thing to do really is to go out to East Amarillo Boulevard, as I was talking about before, and, and sort of seeing what's new out there. I can remember the first time I we went out there to uh, African safari and ate some curried goat. You know, you just never know what you find out there and I, I find that very exciting and delicious.
0: I mean, we've talked about everything from uh, water rights to, you know, tech companies, but what what does this area have too much of?
1: I'm going to say homogeneity or like-mindedness, which is odd because I think that we think of ourselves as being really iconoclastic and and being kind of individualists. That's true to a degree, but I've never lived in a place where people are in general so like minded. And I, as a university professor, enjoy a diversity of opinion. So I'm going to say like mindedness.
0: And is that, uh, when you say like minded, are you talking in terms of culture or religion or politics or yes. all of the above? Okay. All of the above. What does this area not have enough of?
1: Hiking trails.
0: There are uh, trails at Paladura Canyon. There are. There are a few. Uh,
1: Wildcat Bluff, yeah, um,
0: that's about it. That's about
1: it that I know of.
0: Uh, some some trails in the pitcher pump area, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, been on those. Uh, I'm thinking of a book by um, John Erickson called Through Time in the Valley, where he he and a friend go riding horseback down the Canadian Valley, and to to do that, of course, they they have to ask permission from a lot of landowners to get through there. I was thinking oh, it would be great to. Be able to hike the canadian
0: when i think of urban hiking trails mm. i think of larger cities whether it's uh, central park in new york city or places like seattle you know that have forested areas mm. and if you have a forested area and you want to walk through it it's going to be on a trail we don't we don't have forested areas do you think that that's a feature of not having enough trees like like if we had large parks filled with trees we would have trails between those those trees we yeah. just have open grass
1: area. Uh, I think that's that's true. I mean, I think it's I think it's probably pretty complicated why we don't have more public lands here. Right? It has to do with Texas history. It has to do with the landscape. It has to do with a lot of things. Um, historically, though, the water courses were the trails, and um, I've been hiking the the Middle Tool Draw with a friend. Um, we've been doing that in sections. Again, getting permission from landowners to go through there. Um, so, I think that. Those watercourses, the draws, as well as the canyons, are the historical interstate system of the panhandle, you know. Uh, And so that's that's a fascinating way that you could connect up a trail system.
0: We talked about it briefly, but um, what kind of reputation does West Texas A&M have outside this area? You know, it's, it's growing. It's more thriving now than when you first found it. Oh, yeah. Um, but but looking at it from the academic perspective, from you know different university perspective, I mean, how is WT known?
1: In my experience, it's not it's not known outside of Texas very much at all, outside of Texas or the immediate region. I think that's changing in terms of when I go to a, an academic conference somewhere, people don't know West Texas A So I think that's something we need to continue to work on. But I, I really do think it's a sort of a, an undiscovered treasure and, and a, a great place for people to send their kids to school.
0: When you're introducing yourself at a conference and you say, I, I teach at West Texas A&M University, and they say, what is that? I mean, mm-hmm. What do you tell them?
1: I say it's in the panhandle of Texas, on the high plains. That's, That's it. Not- and the way people recognize it is, of course, I-40. You know, If mm-hmm. you tell them Amarillo, then they can kind of get there.
0: When was the, uh, this is I mean, appropriate for your Western focus, but when is the last time you ate at the Big Texan?
1: Maybe 2012. It's been a while. I went there with some people who had newly moved to the area from Pennsylvania who wanted a Texas experience.
0: Did you identify that as an authentic Texas experience for them? An <laughs> I authentic I think, Amarillo experience? As I there. recall,
1: it was their idea okay. and, and and they they enjoyed it very much.
0: When was the last time you wore cowboy boots? Yesterday. Really.
1: Really. And I wore a, a cowboy hat only Tuesday. Okay. so
0: do you feel like that's part of the uh, requirements for your work? No, I don't okay um,
1: but I but I wear I wear cowboy boots pretty regularly. I find them very comfortable and attractive.
0: I can attest to that very attractive. <laughs> What's your favorite western film or book?
1: Uh, that's a hard one. Um, that changes a lot. If I had to have a, a kind of a perennial favorite novel, it would probably be Leslie Marmon Silco's ceremony, which is set in New Mexico published in 1977.
0: I actually studied that as an English major at WT. Excellent,
1: excellent, I think I know who probably taught you that book. My favorite really regional book here lately is um, called Lords of the Plain by Max Crawford, who grew up in Data. And it's a novel that is about the Red River Wars, the wars between the cavalry and the Comanches in the 1870s. Uh, I'm a big Cormac McCarthy fan, uh, so I certainly want That on the list, and and I think the Coen brothers' uh, No Country for Old Men is fantastic. Uh, And a great Texas movie I'll throw in there is um, John Sayles' Lone Star, which is pretty old. I think it's from the 1990s, but um, still resonates for me about uh, Texas history and
0: identity. I'll stop there. Okay. Yeah, we could probably go a long time talking. about (laughs) that. Westerns and film and stuff. uh, I I like to close uh, every episode by just asking my guests to offer an endorsement. I mean, we've we've mentioned a number of things that you appreciate about the area, but is is there something specific that you would want to share with listeners to say this is uh, something you need to experience?
1: My runner-up would be the Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, which I think is wonderful, and I think there's probably a lot of people that remember it from their grade school visit that need to go back there. But I have to say, Paladro Canyon as the the best answer there it's shocking to me how many people who live here say they've never been there or maybe they've been there once a long time ago to me it's it's just a, an amazing place and again it's a major part of the reason why I, I applied for the job and and came here and and knowing that i could leave campus and and be down in the canyon and and on a hiking trail within half an hour was a an important Part of my uh, thinking about quality of life here, you know, um, and to me, people just are really missing out on something if they don't experience that landscape and, and get out on the trail and get off their butt and get some exercise and see the country.
0: Why do you think it's it's underrated or or not as highly regarded as maybe it should be? I mean, it's it's, it's like know. the geographical feature of this area.
1: Yeah, period. yeah, and and it shouldn't even be qualified that way. I mean, it's it's it would rank with with landscapes and parks and in New Mexico and Colorado. I mean, it's, it's, it's not something diminutive and I just think it's kind of a cultural blind spot. I mean, I, in Colorado, you know, there, there are hiking trails all over the place and there are people using those trails and it's the fittest, leanest uh, state in the union. I think people are happier outdoors. I think we should be outdoors more than we are. And uh, I think we just, we just like, ah, the wind's blowing. So, Stay home. (laughs) It's a pity because it's a it's a great thing to do, even if the wind is blowing.
0: The canyon walls block a lot of the wind. They do if you get in the right place. Yeah. Alex Hunt, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And that concludes another episode of Hey Amarillo. Thanks to Alex Hunt for appearing on the show. I appreciate it, Alex. I want to say thanks also to ROI Online and Amarillo National Bank for sponsoring this episode. And thanks to you for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you'll follow us at Hey Amarillo on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, if you're so inclined. And tell a friend about the show. The more listeners, the more conversations we get to have. Thanks for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.